I, I want to emphasize that we, the United States, doesn't even look like it's headed. From our perspective, we don't see any evidence it's headed for a recession, much less a depression. Now, maybe in eighteen months, not right now. If if we have a recession, it will be relatively minor. And a big reason we would have a recession in eighteen months, by the way, is not because of the pandemic. Well, indirectly, it's because the rest of the world is sliding into a deep recession. China is in a folks in a world of hurt. Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, and welcome back to another exciting second hour of the Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, we are going to continue the conversation about the doldrums of the economic world at the moment and what we see happening. Um, you, we mentioned this in the newsletter, the U.S. trade deficit shrank in July. How is how did that happen? That's usually backwards compared to, you know, we're, we're we got inflation. We're, we're, we're you're going to say something. Well, it's important to this is the key. the The trade deficit shrank. We we Im, we exported more than we imported, and this is a key thing right here. The dollar has appreciated. That's not right. Yes. We still imported more than we exported. That's why there's a deficit. Are we okay, right? You're completely yeah. correct. Go ahead. But but the trade deficit went in what we would consider the right direction, in that we ex our imports increased and our uh, and our, our imports, our imports decreased. decreased and our exports increased. Correct. The dollar is against a basket of currencies as measured as measured by the Wall Street Journal twenty percent higher mm -hmm. than it was a year ago. 20%. In other words, the dollar is appreciated 20%. The euro is trading around one to one with the dollar. It was, I remember very well when it was 140. Um, in other words, you it's can buy a euro for right at $1 right now. It's 98 cents at this point. Crazy. Um, right. It bobs up and down a tenth of a cent above. But the, the, the issue is that the, the dollar has become, has risen dramatically because people fleeing the instability in Europe and Asia are buying U.S. assets, and they have to convert to dollars to do that. They're investing in the U.S. markets, which is one of the reasons our markets have done well. Um, and yet, the balance of trade went the other way last month. And that is certainly an interesting factor. Uh, I, I have some opinions on why that happened, but you started the program. You started this subject, so roll on. Yeah. Uh, what, what does the deficit even mean? I mean, it means that we're buying stuff for cheaper than we were it's not necessarily that we're buying less stuff we're still buying a lot of stuff uh, and if you if you look at uh, from that perspective our imports the amount that we paid on imports is down we got the same amount of import so basically just think of it was we got a discount on all our imports and our exports still went up even though our the dollar's gone up so what is that about? How is it that we're our, our exports have gone up? Well, there's a big factor here. Um, the European Union was 40% linked to Russian gas. That's a, as a percentage of their energy use. 40% came from gas. They have moved to 9% 
Russian gas, from 40% Russian gas. What, what does that mean? Why, why am I saying this? So it's, that's a massive shift. So where are they getting this other gas from? I mean, sure, they're cutting back. We were just talking about at the end of the last hour that even the big banks are cutting back on, on their energy use in, in their banks. Industry is definitely cutting back on energy use there. Um, the, the, the footing in Europe right now is semi-war footing as far as the sacrifices they're taking. To go from 40% of the European Union dependent on, or, or the amount of energy that was dependent on Russia being 40% to 9%, where did they make up that difference? And the Financial Times has a great article on this. There is a massive amount of change from their import of American liquid natural gas. That's an export for us. So our exports are continuing to go up as they are looking for some other way of getting natural gas to their power companies. Uh, France is in the middle of turning on all its nuclear power plants that it's been turning off. Germany is likely to follow suit. Uh, they're more afraid of Russia right now than a nuclear catastrophe. And that says a lot. Uh, so when we're looking at our deficit, this, the things that are hurting Europe and China, I, I don't know, this, this, we shouldn't take a great deal of pride or happiness about it, but it's helping us in some ways in that we are now be quickly becoming a major supplier of gas to Europe when we were a pretty minor player in that field before the invasion. So it, it just goes to show that invading people may not be in your best interest long term if other people are afraid of being invaded and happen to be some of your best customers. Um, they, they may decide that they don't want to do business with you anymore because the threat of invasion is very real. Um, the change that took place in the last week to go from the Nord Stream 1 pipeline is shut off due to technical issues to Russia just fully embracing the fact, nope, we have it shut off until you remove sanctions. Uh, they're not even claiming, well, so some parts of their government are still claiming, no, it's because of technical issues. We don't have the parts because of sanctions. But the heads of the departments are now saying, nope, we did this because the Europeans capped the price of oil coming from Russia. Actually, the heads of department, a guy named Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Said that. The top top. At least he said it in Russian. Yeah. But it was translated in English for us. Um, he basically said, as, as, as long as the sanctions persist, the pipeline's not going to come back on. I frankly think he's messed in his nest pretty severely. Yeah. And let, let me tell you the strategic problem here. The Europeans have quickly adapted to Russia being a threat. Now, it seems like it's taking a long time. The invasion was in February. That was seven months ago. They're still 9% dependent on Russian gas for their energy. And a big chunk of that got cut off. So how am I saying they're responding quickly? Well, the, the amount of shift, the speed at which it's occurred is just unprecedented. Uh, gas storage facilities in the EU, they had a goal set back in February during the, the invasion. Hey, we need to get our storage facilities up to 80% full by October. They just passed 82% full and we're at the beginning of September. What does that mean? It means that they are rationing appropriately without 
horribly damaging their economy. They're finding other sources of energy and they're cutting back. So you throw that together, when would be the best time for Russia to cut off the Nord Stream 1 pipeline? And if you're thinking strategically, well, in the depths of winter would be the absolute best time to do it. Keep them committed, keep them committed until you shut it off right when they can't do without it. They've shut off early because the Europeans are ahead of the power curve. They are moving faster than expected and getting delinked with Russia. So Russia had to use its trump card. This is the big thing they've been waving around in the background saying, hey, we could still turn off the Nord Stream 1. Only they say it in Russian. I can't, I can't do it that way. So that's what they've been saying. We're going to turn it off. We're going to turn it off. And they, the best time to do it would be in winter. Why'd they turn it off in September? Because they're looking at the charts and it doesn't look like the Europeans are going to need their energy in winter. So they've played their trump card. So when you say he messed in his nest, he did not expect them to get off of Russian gas at the speed at which they have. Yeah, they, when I say he's messed in his nest, he right from the beginning, and this, there's, there's one thing that still worries me about this entire thing significantly. He expected clearly to win quickly. I, I don't know if you, you've undoubtedly read this, that the officers who were in the initial invasion that went towards Kiev, the very fast invasion that got crushed. They've all disappeared. Uh, well, were, no, they, they, were, they were wearing, they were taking dress uniforms with them in their armored vehicles because yeah. they, to, to, be, to wear in the parade, the victory parade they expected, they got kicked back out. The, obviously, they, the Russians went back to standard Russian tactics, which I understand all too well. Uh, of using lots of artillery and, and beating their enemy completely into the ground and then going, going forward six feet. Um, that's reversing. Uh, the Ukrainians are advancing in the north and in the south. They had a major capture today of a crossroads that's going to really screw up the logistics for the Russians. Uh, they're taking out bridges on a regular basis. And at the same time, he clearly expected Europe to cave and not react to this because he was supplying the gas for Europe that they needed to have to make it through the winter. Everything he has been shooting for is falling apart. And the question is, as he clearly starts to lose and presuming that his losing begins to accelerate, what will he do next? Right. That is, that is the, if you want something to worry about, there's something to worry about. Um, the Ukrainians, little Ukraine compared, little compared with Russia. Um, that he expected to collapse, clearly expected to collapse as soon as he invaded, is in fact beating the Russian army right now. They are they are advancing in the north and in the south. Um, it 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 doesn't look good there. The Europeans who he expected well, to cave it, immediately. It looks good for the Ukrainians. It looks bad. Well, it doesn't look good for him. Um, the question is, what is Putin going to do next? That's the big wild card. When I say I don't think we're going to have a recession next year, that's largely in the hands of Vladimir Putin. If he starts doing things radically bad, like he just shoot, he, he, well, he can't very well expand the war, but he can pop a nuke someplace. Um, and I think he may be crazy enough to do it. The, the question is, that's that's the $64,000. Well, that's kind of an outdated Yeah, concept. that's a very outdated, very outdated. That's the, that's the big question. Uh, how about that? Who wants to be a millionaire final answer? Well, that's outdated too. We're not up oh, okay. on current pop culture, nor are we up on sports. So the, the large monetary value game prize, fill in the blank of the name of the most 
current and accurate name of a game show today prize that's what we meant to say yes yes whatever <laughs> right um, so that's that's something to be concerned about in the united states we talked a little bit about this last hour both the manufacturing and the non-manufacturing purchase managers index as reported by uh, the institute for supply management now why do i go into that much detail there are two sets of pmis reported uh, one is by market, M-A-R-K-I-T. The other one is by the Institute for Supply Management. The market PSI, uh, PMIs are, va- are basically sort of international. A lot of the companies that they, that they survey uh, do a lot of business in Europe and in China, whereas the Institute for Supply Management principally looks at companies that do business in the United States. So there's going to be a difference between them. They're both saying the same thing, but it's something to keep, if you watch PMIs and we do, uh, because they are, do, the PMI, Purchase Manager Index. Let me there's there's, a, there's a third one too. I'll, I'll add a layer of confusion. S&P Global also does yes. one, and yes. they are way different from the other two indexes by, right now, by the way. They're showing shrinking. They're measuring a lot fewer industries, and in those industries, both of the other indexes show shrinkage as well. The if you look at the name of the the word global in there that kind of defines it, basically they're looking at a global picture. Businesses doing business internationally, aren't they? No, S and P Global is the name of the company. Uh, they do their their uh, their statement on um, PMI is for the United States or for a given country. They're just measuring fewer industries in the United States. Well, the analysis I read at one point, now I didn't do a, a check on the facts of the analysis, was that the S&P version is concentrated in companies that tend to do business around the world. In other words, there, there are U.S. companies, and, and maybe I'm incorrect on that, and they are measuring U.S. companies. In other words, they're not companies based in Germany or Japan or someplace or China. <laughs> But they, there's a larger reflection in their index of the global situation than there is in the um, in the Institute for Supply Management. Right. Um, Maybe I'm incorrect. ISM covers construction, mining, utilities, and government, and S and P Global doesn't cover those at all. So construction right. and mining, utilities, and government that seems like a little bit, but it's a lot of the economy. It's local. It's it's it, 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 anyway. The the point is these. PMI indexes or indices, if you prefer, I don't know which is correct. Um, they can both be correct. We'll just say okay. indexes and indices, and then we'll just say it, them it, both every time. I tend to go with That's, the Institute for Supply Management as the most accurate measurement of what's going on in the United States, and my and it's it's extremely positive. And why why are purchasing managers indexes there anyway? What's a purchasing manager? It's a person in a company. Who at an executive stuff, level? At an executive level, right. right? Who who is in charge of purchasing things for future operations? So the management, the whatever part of the company gets information from the people that they sell to. We're going to put some big orders in 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 a couple of three months, and we want you to be prepared to fill them. And they go to their PMI, their purchasing manager. Uh, they go to their purchasing manager and say, we need a whole bunch of copper or we need a whole bunch of food or we need a whole bunch of whatever uh, because we are going to get a bunch of orders coming in. A bunch is a technical term um, down the road. So get out there and start buying stuff. And the surveys then say, what are you seeing in your business 
Uh, are you seeing an increase, a decrease? Uh, what's going on? The purchasing managers tend to run three to six months ahead of the actual business activity. And so watching, getting a survey from them as to what is going on is very predictive over the next three to six months. And what we're seeing is any number on a purchasing manager's index that's above 50 indicates expansion, numbers below 50 indicate contraction. And it's really there the PMI uh, from the Institute for Supply Management and for, for that matter for uh, market strongly suggest that the United States economy over the next three to six months is going to be growing relatively quickly. That's what I'm trying to say. That's it. Yep, in a nutshell. That's it. And the PMIs in Europe from the same companies when they do Europe uh, are finding the reverse. Yeah. They're shrinking. They're going to go downhill over the next three to six months. When we're looking and, at uh, the Chinese market. So there's a lot we don't know about what's happening in the economy of China. There's a lot we don't know because the government controls so much of the data. It's just very difficult to read. What we can look at is the commodity flow, copper, uh, natural gas, petroleum, because they don't have those things in China. They have to bring them in. So to some extent, we can watch where those flows are going. And those flows are down. They're buying less copper. They're buying less gas. They're buying less petroleum. They're buying less aluminum. You go down the list of things that they're buying less of, it looks like they're in a recession right now. Even though they're saying they grew at 0.4%, we are buying more of those things here. It's part of the reason why we look around and we say this doesn't look like in a recession. We're buying more raw commodities to build up what we're doing. We're hiring more people. Those are numbers that on the hiring side and on the revenue side, it's hard to see in China, but their commodity purchases are falling. Not greatly, but this is staggering because they have always risen for the past 30 years. There hasn't been a time when they say, we're going to buy less copper now. Well, they're doing it. So that says that the rest of the world is in a lot of hurt right now. It's nice to live in the United States. And if you're listening from abroad, um, we don't feel your pain, but we kind of empathize. Uh, we're doing our best to try to keep growing. And this is one of those old school things where the United States has a tendency to pull the rest of the world through the recession and out the other side. Generally, it's the United States that starts the recession. And in this case, it doesn't look like we're going to start it, but it may be that our demand for their products will help them pull them through it. <clears throat> Um, what did you want to talk about next? I've got a bunch of stuff. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, there's a, certainly a lot of things to talk about the, the fact that the ISM PMI, didn't that sound technical? The, uh, inst the Institute for Supply Management Purchasing Managers Index for indices, actually, for um, non-manufacturing came out this week, and it is like 56 point something. When That means it's going like gangbusters. 55 is generally considered sustainable growth. 56 means it's still operating at maximum. It's got its foot on the, the economy's got its foot on the accelerator and going like mad. Um, and, and I could talk about the why one of the things is, the, the fact that the economy is doing so well suddenly 
suddenly hit investors, apparently, or traders at least, that the Fed has a lot of room to raise interest rates without damaging the economy because the economy is just so, doing so phenomenally well in the United States right now. Uh, it's going, it, it, as a matter of fact, it's probably doing a little too well. And I think there's probably a consensus out there now that we do need to slow things down a little bit because it will overheat because we are roaring along way too fast. It is overheating, um, yeah. And then the, the other thing I want, and I've, I've said this, I think, every week for some time, but I want to say it again. There are people who still are of the belief that something to do with one of the three stimulus bills, and of course, if you're a Republican, used to uh, you would say the third stimulus bill, which was passed by the Democrats, or if you're a Democrat, we would say the first two stimulus bills that were passed by the Republicans created inflation. Folks, the United Kingdom, the Bank of England, is predicting 20% inflation in the next two months. There, not the, here. <laughs> looking back one year, there. Our inflation is coming down month over month between uh, July and August. We actually went backwards a little bit on prices, 0.1%. But we're actually going backwards. In Europe and in the United Kingdom, prices are going up like the proverbial rocket ship. And they didn't get any stimulus. Uh, as far as every analysis that I've read by people who were really good at doing these things, uh, suggests that there may be the itsy bitsy tiniest bit of inflation that was caused by those, but probably not. Uh, it, it is, it is the big inflation issues yeah. are come right back to supply shortages or supply chain malfunction issues from the pandemic or from the invasion of Ukraine. You put that stuff and, all together, it makes whatever stimulus happened be pretty small. And the other thing I want to talk about, the three stimulus bills, two of them passed by Republicans, one by the Democrats, and whichever side you're on, you're sure, I'm sure you think the other one was evil, um, did something. They prevented a depression. Yeah. I, I want to emphasize that. We, the United States, doesn't even look like it's headed, from our perspective, we don't see any evidence it's headed for a recession, much less a depression. Now, maybe in 18 months. Not right now. If, if we have a recession, it will be relatively minor. And a big reason we would have a recession in 18 months, by the way, is not because of the pandemic. Well, indirectly, it's because the rest of the world is sliding into a deep recession. China is in a, folks, in a world of hurt. Oh, man. China, China is not just the COVID lockdowns. They're locking down, still locking down entire cities because of COVID, which is hurting their production. Their uh, balance of trade is negative, significantly negative. They're importing more than they're exporting. Their exports have fallen. Uh, they're, in, they're in lots of economic trouble there. They're also having the worst drought in China and the highest temperatures in history. And their history goes back thousands of years. And they simply have never had this dry weather and a lot of the energy production in China comes from hydroelectric. And the hydroelectric generation is falling to a tiny bit, and they're having to shut down factories all over China and towns all over China because they don't have any electricity. Um, Europe is, by the way, having a double whammy, too. Not well, only did um, the price of fuel go up. There's another piece of China before we move on. The property collapse okay. issue there is... Oh, yes. It's on par with what we experienced during the, the Great Recession, the global financial 
collapse. Mm -hmm. Only it's, they stimulated their area of property during that period. And it's finally coming back to bite them. This is, we've talked about this as a danger in China for decades on this program that China's debt and its property valuations for real estate are just unsustainable long-term. When you say it for 20 years, it's still surprising when it finally happens. But it's finally happening. Why is it surprising? Well, because we've been saying it's coming for 20 years and it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. They're experiencing right that right now with property management companies going bankrupt with uh, people having houses they already paid for but not complete and there's no way they will ever be finished. Uh, the money's just gone. If you go back to the robo-signing concept of what we had during the global financial crisis, they're in that right now up to their necks in the middle of a drought and COVID lockdowns. So they are in, you said, a world of hurt. Man, are they. Now let's move to Europe. You were moving there next, so go ahead. Well, Europe is also having, now their, their drought is only the worst in 500 years. Uh, so it's relatively oh, that's minor. All, that's However, all, that's fine. Yeah, it should be good. A tremendous... If you if you've ever been in Central Europe, you realize they don't have the most robust highway system in the world. It's mostly re relatively narrow roads, and and even their rail system is relatively meager compared with ours. But they have this amazing river transport system all over Europe because they got a lot of rivers, and a lot of things move by barge. For instance, when Airbus assembles an airplane, there it's assembled in various countries and it's brought together by barges. The problem is. In the middle of a drought, the rivers have fallen, and 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 they, they they always fall. They always run downhill. Yeah. But the levels of the, water, the are, levels are, are down. Yeah, so that many of the barges are operating at twenty percent of their capacity because otherwise they draw too much water and they'd hit bottom. And it's not raining there; it's continuing to be dry there and hot there. And then there was this little event that Russia invaded Ukraine and. The Europeans voluntarily stopped buying oil pretty much from Russia, which that which they didn't have a lot of problems with. But now Russia has cut off their natural gas. So they a whole story around in, that. Involuntarily stopped buying natural gas. <laughs> right. And that is well, let's put it let's simply say a lot of factories in Germany and across uh Europe have had to shut down because they don't have electricity because yeah. there's not they're conserving natural gas. Yeah, that's on industry side. You can tell how big the catastrophe is on the energy side when J.P. Morgan Chase is saying in, in, in its European officer offices that they're turning off the hot water heaters. No yes. more hot water, folks. They're turning off their water fountains. These are the big banks made of marble and all shiny and beautiful, and they've got gold gilting on everything. And they're saying no hot water in the bathroom. This isn't industry. This is like big wealthy finance companies. So it's a big deal over there. They're also in a world of hurt. And so you've got, and, and we do business with those with those areas. Uh, we we import things from them. We sell things from them, both China and Europe. Is that going to hurt the United States economy if they go into severe recessions? Absolutely. Uh, it is going to be painful across the board if they go into recessions. Is it going to crush the United States economy? No. So we may, and I, I tend to think, by the way, in 2023, I, if we have a recession in 2023, I'm of the opinion it will be very mild. 
Um, I'm not at all sure that we're going to have a recession. As a matter of fact, the, the Goldman Sachs just came out with a 33% probability, and we are out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a a finance program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program; it's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this in, on this station, fourteen hundred AM in Temple, since nineteen ninety six, we've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it, so we've been doing this a long, long time. And the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at 254-947-1111. You can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.